of this message, it'll be a two-parter, is the school of contentment. The school of contentment. contentment. Now, the first thing we need to do right off the bat is give a definition of what this word contentment means, because that's what we're going to be talking about. We need to find a good definition for that. This is the best one I've found. Watch this. Contentment is the state of being mentally and emotionally satisfied, here's the key word, with things as they are. Now, normally when we think of contentment, we think about being contented with the house we have, being contented with the car we drive, being contented, you know, with the salary you have. I'm just going to be content about that. But contentment is much more than that. It is the state of being mentally and emotionally satisfied with things that includes painful circumstances as they are. Everyone here desires contentment. Every one of you. I don't care if you're the youngest person in here or the oldest person in here. You desire contentment. God has made us that way. But the problem is people are looking for contentment in all the wrong places. Now, I'm not, a, uh, I'm not into country music. It's usually about beer, a truck, and a woman who's left, right? Isn't that country music? A beer, a truck, and a woman who's left. Or, or uh, my, my favorite country title is this, my, my, my wife left with my best friend and I miss him. You know, that's, that's country music right there. But there was a song written, and it has a lot of wisdom to it that I'm going to pull out here. Looking for love in all the wrong places, okay? And so we could say today, looking for contentment in all the wrong places. You and I are made in such a way where we want contentment. But we're looking in all the wrong places for that contentment. Let me give you some illustrations. Most of us have heard of the last name of Rocker, Rocker, Rockefeller. <laughs> Rockefeller. Uh, Rockefeller. And he was an incredible business magnate. He started, this was in the late 1800s, a standard oil company. And they say in today's money, uh, the way that you do inflation, he is the wealthiest American who's ever lived. Much more than Elon Musk. He had much more money than any American who's ever lived. J.D. Rockefeller. And he was asked one day, how much money would it take for you to be satisfied? And you know what he said? Just a little bit more than what I have. You see, he wasn't contented. I think about, let's switch from country music to rock and roll, 70s rock and roll. The Rolling Stones, they tried sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and yet they wrote a song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Can't Get Any Contentment. Now, some of y'all are back there going, <laughs> I remember that song, okay? And some of y'all will be singing that for the rest of my song, okay? Uh, stick with looking for love in all the wrong places. Stick with that one. Uh, in fact, there's a whole book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes, and it was written by uh, Solomon. 
And I think it was written toward the end of his life because you know what? God put this, this book, Ecclesiastes, in our life to show us that you can't find contentment other than through God. And so Solomon, listen, he had 600 wives, 300 concubines, and he wasn't satisfied. You know what? I understand. <laughs> Could you imagine? Trying to please 900 women, okay? He wasn't, sorry ladies, but uh, y'all are wired differently than us, right men? Okay, all right, now, he had probably the rich, he's probably the richest person who's ever lived in history. He had incredible power, he had all the wisdom in the world. The Bible says he's the wisest man who ever lived. He wrote the book of Proverbs. And that's just full of wisdom. He had everything anybody could want, but he looked over the end of his life and he says, you know what, I wasn't contented. He, he used this phrase that's repeated over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes, all is vanity. In other words, everything under the sun, not, not un, uh, everything here on this earth, all of it's vanity until he gets to the end of the book and he says, you know what I figured out? Everything is vanity except God. Looking for contentment. The school of contentment. Matter of fact, <clears throat> is uh, God has wired us in such a way. I like what Augustine said, a great saint of old. He said this, theologian of old. But thou, O Lord has made us for thyself. And our hearts are ever restless till they find their rest in thee. Contentment is found in God and God alone. So quit chasing everything else to find yourself contentment. You are wasting your time unless you learn to find contentment in God alone. You ever uh, seen a, a movie that's some guy out in the desert and he's thirsting to death and he's crawling on the sand and he looks up and he sees what looks like a pond. And he's like, oh, oh. He's blistered, his lips are all chapped. He starts running and then he dives into the pond and pfft, it's just more sand. We call that a mirage. I want to tell you something. All of this world, is just a mirage of contentment. Only God can give true contentment. Matter of fact, I love this verse. Look at Isaiah 55, 1 through 2 in your outline, <clears throat> in your side of your bulletin. Ho, <laughs> that means this. Y'all listen up. Everyone who thirst, come to the waters. And I like this, and you have no money come, buy and eat. You don't have to pay for this. It's free. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? Why are you chasing the world's mirages and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me. God is talking. And eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. So he's saying, uh, any of you that are thirsty, come to me. 
Come to me. Look at uh, Psalm 107, verse 9. For he has satisfied, that's another word for content, contented, the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. Look at Psalm 63, 1 through 5. Sometimes these psalms have a heading. I chose to put this heading in on purpose so you can understand what was going on when he wrote this. Here's the heading. A Psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. And then he said this. This is the scripture. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And so he's taking a physical thing and comparing it to spiritual, his spiritual life. Verse 2, he's reflecting on what he was used to. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Now, look what happened. He says, I remember when I was uh, in church... (laughs) and I was worshiping God, and it was satisfying my soul. And then he says this, verse 5, I like this one. My soul, if I do this, will be satisfied as with the riches of food. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Now, I want you to hear this statement. You can be saved and know you're saved, and still not satisfied. I'm not talking about satisfied with your eternity. You can be saved and know that you're saved and have assurance of your salvation, and you can even uh, be a Christian who's grown in, in the past, but yet you're still not satisfied. It's because you were looking in all the wrong places. So what we're going to do today is we are going to go to school, the school of contentment. Now, there was a fella in the Bible who learned how to be content. Now, get your pens out for this one, okay? Look what it says in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Look what Paul said. I have learned, circle the word learned, to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. Here it is, underline this. I have learned, circle it, the secret of being content in any in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, And then in that context, he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You know what I see in that? Is when you become a Christian, you are in (laughs) pre-K as far as this school of contentment. And you have to learn it. It's a process. And Paul said, 
in my spiritual life, I have learned, I've gotten to a point where I'm content with anything that's going on in my life, whether I have a bunch of money in the bank or not a lot of bunch of money in the bank, whether I'm hungry or not hungry, whether I'm going through trials and troubles or whether it's a bright, bright, sunshiny day. You remember that song? Okay. And what I want to do is I want to get you on that path, enroll you in the school, and you're enrolled, by the way, when you get saved, but I'm going to show you three keys he gives us on how to come to that point where he's content with whatever. Okay? Now, here's what I want uh, to show you. Let me say this. Speaking of where we are, we're in pre-K. Paul the Apostle finally got his Ph.D. in this school of contentment. You know, some of you, where, where are you? Are you still in pre-K as far as contentment? Are you in uh, elementary school? Are you in junior high as far as your level of contentment? Are you in senior high? Are you in college, grad school, or do you have your Ph.D. in contentment? If I were to rate my contentment, because I've been walking with the Lord 37 years, okay, I would probably say I'm either a senior in high school or I'm in college. I'm not where Paul was. I don't have this Ph.D. yet. I'm working on it. I'm, work, I'm enrolled in doctoral school. <laughs> I'm trying to get to this point. But Paul the Apostle says to you and to me three keys on how to be content. Now, number one, these are all simple, but you've got to do them. All right, first of all, pursue knowing Christ as your ultimate goal. Now, I'm not talking to lost people here, although you won't find satisfaction apart from being saved and being enrolled in the school of contentment. I'm talking to saved people. You can be saved and still not pursue Christ as your ultimate goal. He can be a goal in your life. You can say, well, you know what? I want to go to church. I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to start praying but listen, your goal can't be just simply to go to church. Your goal can't simply be to read the Bible and simply to pray. Your goal, here's what you have to say to Jesus every single day, is just, I want to know you more, Lord. I want to know you more. The greatest thing that old course says, in all my life, is knowing you. Is the greatest thing in your life right now knowing Jesus Christ? Now, He must not just be a part of your life. He must become the all-consuming passion. You know what I'd do if I was listening to this sermon? And I am listening to it because I'm preaching it. From now on, every day, you say, I want to know you more. I want to know you more. I want to trust you more. Now look at what it says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Oh, 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 let me get to uh, uh, Philipp Philippians, I'm sorry, 3, 7 through 10. I get ahead of myself sometimes. Imagine that. Philippians 3, 7 through 10. Here's what Paul said. He's talking about how he used to be this religious Ph.D. Jew. 
He said, I once thought all these things were so very important, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared to the priceless gain, look at this, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I may have Christ and become one with Him. I no longer count on my own goodness or my ability to obey God's law, but I trust Christ to save me. For God's way of making us right with Himself depends on faith. As a result, now that I'm saved, I can, I have the capacity to really know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. I can learn what it means to suffer with Him, sharing in His death. You know, the word here, I want to know Christ, is not just, again, knowing about Him, knowing facts about Jesus, but knowing Him because I've experienced Him. I have walked with Him. And I know Him in a deeper way. Can I tell you, Jenna, can I tell you why Jenna got choked up? Is because that song grabbed her through the experiences she's going through. Um, and when you begin to know God, you begin to sing the hymns with a greater depth than you've ever sung them before. They become a blessing to you. You know why? Because through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. And you sing amazing grace and you're like, I understand that. You sing it as well with my soul. And you can be going through the most terrible time in your life and yet God can give you peace. And you sing by experience now it is well with my soul. Pursue Christ as your ultimate goal. Now here's another verse Paul said. Now turn to, let me look at on your bulletin. Philippians 1.21 For to me to live is Christ. I will never forget when I was at Bible college and somebody wrote on, on the uh, bulletin board that they had there I mean, this was a planned bulletin board. It wasn't just somebody going up there writing graffiti, Christian graffiti. <laughs> okay. They wrote up here, Paul said, for me to live is Christ. And then it said, fill in the blank for yourself. For me to live is what? If you were to answer that question, for me to live is popularity. For me to live is I'm going to have money. For me to live is I'm going to have a good job. For me to live is I want to have happy kids and a happy family and I want to go to college and I want to do this and I want to have a, ha a good solid retirement. And God said you'll never find contentment until you get with Paul and say for me to live my life is to know Christ. Look at what Jesus said in John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, that is, he obeys them, 
is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be beloved by my Father. And I will love him. Now watch this. And will disclose myself to him. I was talking to somebody last night. I was witnessing to them. It just came up in the conversation. And I shared the gospel. I shared my testimony. And I want to tell you something. They were locked into every word I was saying. I could tell the Holy Spirit was convicting them. And God was moving. And here's what I said to them. I said, I want you to pray. If you really want to be saved, if you really want to know if this is true or not, because they were raised in a cult. They don't attend church, but they were raised in a cult. And I said, if you really want to know what I'm saying is the truth, you can know it. And I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to God and say, God, if what Brother Jeff told me is true, confirm it. And I said, I want you to get in the Gospel of John, because that's the best book for any person to read who's searching for the Lord. I said, and as you read it, I want you to say every day, God, I want to know you. I want to know that I'm going to heaven when I die. If Jesus is the only way, then tell me. Now, here's what's going to happen. If he doesn't do that, he isn't going to be saved. But if he begins to do that, God will disclose himself to him. Now that is in salvation. But if you begin to walk with the Lord, if you begin to love the Lord, guess what will happen? You will begin to experience God and God will show up in your life. So the first key in the school of contentment is to pursue knowing Christ as your ultimate, number one, every day, every hour goal. Now, here's the second thing. This is big. You have to start trusting that every circumstance, every circumstance has a purpose. God's in control of every one of your circumstances. I wrote this down, just my thoughts, but I wanted to read them exactly. Every circumstance has a purpose because God is sovereign. He's in control over every circumstance, whether good or bad, whether caused by man or caused by the devil. God allows the circumstances and He controls every circumstance that happens to us. You don't have to understand that to still believe it. You can still believe that even though you don't understand, well, how could God do this in my life if He's really in control of every circumstance? You don't have to understand that to choose to believe it. And when you choose to believe it, you'll begin to get victory over what it is that's confounding you that He's doing. Let me show you how God is in control of every circumstance. I was preaching at a little church for a, my Greek professor, believe it or not. I'm like, how would he choose me? Because I was a C student in Greek. Why would he choose me to preach for him? 
I was glad he was not there because he'd be going, oh, oh, if I quoted a Greek word, okay. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> so I preached for him twice, probably six months apart from each other, and I was preaching the second time, and I'm sitting up there on the podium, and I got to thinking, because I was going to preach a message on assurance. And I got to thinking, did, did I? Did I preach this before? That's one of the dangers of being a preacher. Sometimes you may, you wonder, did I preach this before here? You don't write down what you preach, and you, did I preach this before? And uh, here I am on the platform. I'm about to have to get up to preach. And I'm like, God, you've got to show me somehow, some way. Have I preached this before? I'm talking about assurance. Guy gets up. It wasn't in the bulletin. I don't know if they had a bulletin. I can't remember. He said, turn in your hymn book. Blessed assurance. <laughs> Jesus is mine. And I about had a hallelujah fit. You know what God was saying? I'm in control. I'm here in this little tiny church in Rossville, uh, Tennessee, and I know what's going on. Do you know, <clears throat> here I am talking about trusting God, that he's in control of every circumstance. And, you know, when I wrote this sermon... Early, uh, earlier this week, I began to just feel like the Lord wanted us to sing Blessed Assurance. I felt like the Lord wanted us to sing in Christ alone. Then Jenna gets up and sings this song. And then we're going to close out with Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. And I got to thinking and I read the hymn lyrics and every single one of them goes along with my sermon. And I didn't plan it that way. I did not plan it that way. What did, what did Jenna sing? Can I trust you, Lord? What did, what did uh, you know, in Christ alone, I place my trust. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And then, as we end today, later on, <laughs> tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. Look at what the Bible says in Romans 8, 28 through 29. And we know that God causes everything. Now listen, you're like, well, there it is. God causes everything. God causes the evil in my life. No, he doesn't. Read the verse. And we know that God causes everything, good or bad. Here, here's what he does to work together for good. Of those who love God, there's a qualifier, and are called according to his purpose for them. What is his purpose when he works all things together for good? So you can go back and say, well, that was good. Some circumstances will never be good. But he says, his purpose for you in every trial, in every circumstance, if you'll turn it over to him, is he will make you like Jesus. And when you're made like Jesus, you're progressing in this school of contentment and you'll find what you really want. You trust that God has a, a purpose. 
um, listen to what Jenna's saying. You know what I'm when I put this in here? A few minutes before the sermon. I copied it. I looked it up on YouTube. Can I trust you, Lord, uh, Twyla Paris? Because I'm like, ooh, that song goes along when I'm preaching. And I popped it in here about five minutes before the service began. Listen to what she's, she's saying, these words. Sometimes my little heart can't understand. What's in your will? What's in your plan? So many times I'm tempted to ask why, but I can never forget it for long. Lord, what you could do, let me, Lord, what you do could not be wrong, so I believe in you even when I must cry. Do I trust you, Lord? Does the river flow? Do I trust you, Lord? Does the north wind blow? You can see my mind. You can, you can see my heart. You can read my mind. And you've got to know that I would rather die than to lose my faith in the one I love. Do I trust you, Lord? Do I trust you? Let me tell you the, the answer to that question. You can know you trust him when you trust any and every circumstance you've been through in your life, God was still in control. <coughs> Here's the third key. Draw from God's supernatural strength. <clears throat> you won't be able to face those circumstances. You won't even be able to pursue Christ as your ultimate goal until you start asking God for strength to do it. Look what it says here in Philippians 4, 11 through 13 again. Paul said, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. He's going to tell us later on how he learned to be content. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret. What is the secret? You'll see it in a minute. Of being content in any and every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What is the secret, Paul? Here's the secret to contentment. This is the most misquoted verse in the Bible, possibly. Verse 13, he said, I can do everything. I can face any circumstance. There's another way to do that. I can do everything through him. He gives me the strength. He gives me the strength. Here's what he's saying. I'm not worried about anything that will happen because I know that God will give me the strength I need to face it. Now, here's the problem. Many of us are overwhelmed at what we're going through. You know why? Because you're trying to face it in your own strength. <coughs> you're trying to figure this out on your own. And God says, no, 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 no. You can't find contentment in this until you begin to ask me for strength. You draw from it like a well. Jesus said he's the living water. And you draw every day from the well, from the well, from the well. And God gives you strength and you rise above it. You don't understand, maybe not even on this side of heaven, you don't understand why he allowed it, but you trust him anyway. And you ask God for strength every day. And suddenly you'll notice that you're content even if God allowed that. What have we learned? Three keys. 
Pursue knowing Christ as your ultimate goal. Is that what you're doing? Trust that every keyword, circumstance that God has allowed, whether it was Satan, your dumb mistakes, or somebody else's, <clears throat> that God allowed it and has a purpose. And every single one of those things, not just some of them, 100% of everything. And then draw. Every day, go to the well and draw from God's supernatural strength. I want to read you something <clears throat> out of my favorite devotional book, which is Streams in the Desert, and we'll close with this. Listen to this. 1 Samuel 3.18 It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. And then he goes on to say, the writer <clears throat> of this devotional, see God in everything, and God will calm and color all that thou dost see. It may be that the circumstances of sorrows will not be removed. <clears throat> Their condition will remain unchanged. But if Christ, as Lord and Master of our life, is brought into our grief and gloom, and then he quotes scripture. He will encompass uh, us about with songs of deliverance. The writer goes on to say, to see him and to be sure that his wisdom cannot err, his power cannot fail, his love can never change, to know that even his dearest dealings with us are for our deepest spiritual gain, to be able to say, it's the bereavement, sorrow, pain, and loss, is said, the Lord gave, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then finally he says this, nothing else but seeing God in everything will make us loving and patient with those who annoy and trouble us. They will be to us then only instruments for accomplishing His tender and wise purposes toward us. And we shall even find ourselves at last thanking God inwardly for them, for the blessings they bring us. Nothing else will completely put an end to all murmuring, all murmuring and rebellious thoughts. Let's bow for a word of prayer.